0: So we have been looking at the Gospel of John for the last, I believe it's 11 weeks. This is our 11th week. And in two weeks is Easter Sunday. Uh, The purpose behind my choices in which passages in John to discuss with you has included the plan to be at a certain point in the story by Easter Sunday. And what do we celebrate on Easter Sunday? We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Spoiler alert, that is exactly what we will be reading and reveling in and celebrating in two weeks. So for the next two weeks, we will be looking at John chapter 19, specifically uh, the trial and crucifixion of Jesus and the death and burial of Jesus. And as in other weeks, uh, I want to quickly cover the bits of the narrative that kind of will set the stage for what we're going to jump into today. Now, you know, these uh, occurrences are trying to, you know, kind of match up with the calendar. But anyway, here we go. So last Sunday, we looked at uh, Jesus' conversation with his disciples surrounding the Last Supper. We started out you Know washing the feet, and then afterwards, he was dropping shock bombs on them, shocking all all evening long. That's uh, John, you know, it was like 14, it was like 13, 14, and 15, wasn't it? And then uh, in John chapter 17, the whole thing is a this beautiful prayer by Jesus as he prays for himself and for his disciples. And then in John chapter 18, we see. Jesus Treated With Indignities and Injustice. And let me just read from this. um, It's a Bible series book that is kind of a, it's like a devotional. It's got the, you know, places to write into. So here we go. Reviewing the story. I thought this was pretty well done. A night that would be filled with indignities and injustice began with Jesus' betrayer, Judas Iscariot, Invading Jesus' prayer sanctuary in the Garden of Gethsemane, accompanied by armed troops to arrest the Savior. Jesus was bound and taken to Annas, who I think was a high priest at the time, where he was illegally questioned and assaulted. He was then taken to the Roman governor Pilate, who could find no fault with him, but sentenced him to death anyway to appease the Jewish leaders. Meanwhile, Peter, who hours earlier had vowed to die with Jesus, three times denied even knowing him. So that's the setup for our for where we're going to start today. So we're going to be in the like the first twenty two verses, uh, first twenty two verses of John chapter nineteen. If you want to read along with me again, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. Uh, But uh, feel free to, you know, fire up whatever version you like the best. All right, John 19, 1 through 11. Then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him. Hail, king of the Jews, they mocked. As they slapped him across the face, Pilate went outside again and said to the people, I'm going to bring him out now to you, but understand clearly that I find him not guilty. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said, look, here's the man. When they saw him, the leading priests and temple guards began shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Take him yourselves and crucify him, Pilate said. I find him not guilty. The Jewish leaders replied, By our law, he ought to die because he called himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. He took Jesus back into the headquarters again and asked him, Where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. Why don't you talk to me, Pilate demanded. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or crucify you? Then Jesus said, you would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. So in the face of these indignities and injustices, the mistreatment and mockery, our Savior is at Peace. When Pilate is saying to Jesus, come on, work with me, help me, help me, help you, right? Give me something that I can use to defend you or get you released on a technicality. Even then, Jesus is in the bosom of the Father in submission to the great, to the giver of power from above. You can keep reading on here. Verses 12 through 16. Then Pilate tried to release him, but the Jewish leaders shouted, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. When they said this, Pilate brought Jesus out to them again. And then Pilate sat down on the judgment seat on the platform that is called the stone pavement in Hebrew, Gabbatha. It was about noon on the day of preparation for the Passover. And Pilate said to the people, look, here is your king. Away with him, they yelled. Away with him. Crucify him. What? Crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the leading priest shouted back. And then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. So Jesus challenged the religious leaders' system of religion, which they wielded to control the whole nation of Israel through guilt and fear. And if that system were to be replaced by faith in Jesus, through whom we experience grace and truth, their control through guilt and fear would be gone. And the Jews challenged Pilate's loyalty to Caesar if he did not follow along with their plot to see Jesus killed. So that phrase, a friend of Caesar, is a technical term that refers to an ally of the emperor. So they say, if you release this man, you're no friend of Caesar. My last couple of verses that we're going to look at today, 17 through 22. So they took Jesus away, carrying the cross by himself. He went to the place called Place of the Skull in Hebrew Golgotha, where they there they nailed him to the cross. <clears throat> Two others were crucified with him, one on either side, with Jesus between them. And Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, The king of the Jews. The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek so that many people could read it. And then the leading priest objected and said to Pilate, Change it from the king of the Jews to he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate replied, No. What I have written, I have written. got a little something extra here. <clears throat> and if you notice, why does Pilate continue to use the title King of the Jews to describe Jesus? Does Pilate believe Jesus is the prophesied king and this is his response of faith? Or is he doing it to mock the Jews for pressuring him to kill a man he, that he wants to release? Ultimately, Pilate's motive doesn't matter. Jesus is publicly identified as the king of the Jews. Not only do the Jewish leaders hear Pilate's repeated pronouncement, but when the sign is tacked up on the cross above Jesus' disfigured face, the whole world sees who is dying there. The king of the Jews is written in three languages because this king's death impacts more than one nation. This king brings men from every nation into his kingdom. The pen of Pilate becomes the instrument God uses to announce to the world, Jesus is king. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but what, why, why does the story have to go this way, right? Why did it have to be this way at all? Why did Jesus have to be betrayed and falsely accused um, and arrested and beaten and mocked? Why did he have to suffer so much? And uh, the uncomfortable answer, my friends and fellow humans He had to go through the suffering because of you and me. We're going to take a look at what was written about Jesus 700 years before the events of John chapter 19. We're going to be looking at the book of Isaiah chapter 53, specifically verses 3 through 8, and it's the prophet Isaiah speaking of the Lord's servant. Here we go. but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. our weaknesses, our rebellion, our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Why was this the plan? Why was Jesus, who is the Lord's servant, made to go through this for us? It's because of God's great love for us. This was God's plan for his servant back in ancient Israel. And the really crazy thing is that Jesus knew it beforehand. He understood what the burden would be to live as the Lord's servant. He told Nicodemus on that late night theological discussion in John chapter three, verses 15 and 16. He says this, as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up. It's a reference to who's being put on a cross. So that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Remember how Jesus was telling his disciples, I talked about this last week, that he was going to leave them, that he was going to die, and that one of them would betray him. And then he also says this in John chapter 16, verse 33. I've told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. Why did Jesus have to suffer the way that he did? The answer is, in order to overcome the world, He took on everything the world had to dish out, everything that selfish, insecure, weak, control-hungry, and power-hungry people could come up with to hurt and humiliate, mistreat and mock, every indignity and injustice that the world could heap on you, Jesus went through it all. That is how he overcame the world. That how that is, that is how he has overcome the world. And what does he want for you? <clears throat> he wants you to have peace in him and to take heart. Uh, a lot of our lives are very different. For some of us, it's not that bad. For others of us, it is bad. These last few weeks, and likely the next several weeks for us, um, for some of us at least, includes many trials and sorrows. So that you may have peace in him, take heart. Christ Jesus has overcome the world. Boy, I was going to draw this beforehand. I'll have to just do it right now. I've seen this as as a bumper sticker. Um, I really appreciate your patience right now. (laughs) Uh, You'd think I'd have plenty of time, right? No. I've seen this as a bumper sticker and as a church sign. No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus. No peace. Do you know Jesus? He's alive today and you can know him today. His purpose for the suffering that we just briefly read about today was to complete God's plan so that you would believe in Jesus as your Savior, so that you would not perish but have eternal life, eternal spiritual life. And this might sound strange to you, and that's okay. Uh, it's not easy for human minds to understand the plans of God. But if you do not know Jesus and you want to know him, guys it, it's as easy as you know starting any any other introduction, right? It can be as simple as Hi Jesus. It's me, Saul. I want to know you. Will you teach me about who you are? And then here's a tip. Shut up and listen. Right? We, we, <laughs> you don't want to be that annoying person that just goes on and on and on and on, only talking about themselves, right? <clears throat> because if our goal is to know Jesus... You should be the one paying attention. Now, he will listen for sure. He, he's a gentleman and he will, he will put up with, with all the dysfunction you can, you can dish out on him. He's overcome the world, including you. Any who's, if your goal is to know Jesus, you should be the one paying attention. Listen for his story told to you by him. And you can certainly read the book of John along with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and the rest of the Bible, and I would encourage that. But guys, read, just reading about someone isn't the same as having a one-on-one personal relationship with someone. So as we close here, <clears throat> you you may have peace in Jesus, and that's not like a question. It's like you know when you have when you have to go to the bathroom, and your teacher says, and you ask. Can I go to the bathroom? And they say, well, can you? May I go to the bathroom? Okay, so you may, you can have, you may have, you can have peace in Jesus. Take heart because Jesus has, past tense, overcome the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, pray that we would just... um, be reminded that your spirit would be alive in us and reminding us that we don't have to face all this stuff alone. That you are with us and you have already overcome the whole world. Initially, it was to Restore us to a right relationship with God, the Father, that we would believe in you and that we would not perish but have everlasting life. But the bonus is that you are with us no matter what we're going through. And so, Lord, I, we just ask you to come now. May we experience your presence You right beside us as we're facing the the sorrows and the trials that we've got to face. We thank you for what you're going to do. Amen.